On September 30th of 1977, British punk rock singer-songwriter Ian Dury released his debut album, New Boots and Panties. Dury cut his teeth on the British pop rock circuit before his debut made him a cult star. He never managed to duplicate the brilliance of this punk funk classic, but the album's impact is felt to this day, introducing the term sex, drugs and rock and roll to the lexicon. Welcome to the 500 Albums podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 list of greatest albums of all time. As selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, and published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Urban, and today we're looking at number 495 on the list, New Boots and Panties by Ian Dury. So yeah, today, Ian Dury, legendary British singer, um, I knew of his songs, but I did not know of the person. Although I somehow seem to remember that there was a movie about him and that Andy Serkis played him in that movie. But other than that, I did not really know anything about this artist. So really cool to see who he was and learn more about what he has done in his life. So without spoiling too much, let's look into his life, shall we? So who was Ian Dury? Well, he was a British punk and new wave singer-songwriter and actor. And he was born in 1942 in the greater London suburb, Harrow Wild. And at a very young age, Dury lived a couple years in Switzerland, where his father worked as a chauffeur, but he soon moved back to England. And at the age of seven, Dury contracted polio and he had to spend a very long time in different hospitals around the city. And the illness resulted in the paralysis of his left leg and shoulder and arm. And because of this, Ian changed school several times. And he was given a hard time, first being more practical schools where he actually felt happy doing what he did, but later being forced to go to a more academic school. Eventually in 1964, he left school to study painting in college. And there he studied under Peter Blake, who's a legendary illustrator and artist who's most known for his album covers of the Beatles records and The Who, and also the Live Aid poster. Dury himself worked as an illustrator for a while, but then later decided to pursue part-time teaching at art schools instead. And at this art school is where he formed his first band, Kilburn and the High Roads, in 1970. And in this band, there were a few students that he was teaching himself at Canterbury College. And in this band, Dury was of course the vocalist, but he was also the lyricist and co-composer. The band became successful, and they were a regular in the pop rock scene, and they gained a cult status. And the popularity of the Kilburns were so immense that they were able to get a spot as a support band of The Who during their Quadrophenia tour in 1973, and soon after this support gig, they were signed to Raft Records, but more on that later. Later in his career, Ian Dury formed the band The Blockheads, together with some former members of the Loving Awareness Band, and this band became an even bigger success. 
Together, they recorded several albums, but eventually they split up and later reunited again for another album and some live performances. Ian Dury drew influences from all the different members of the bands and it included genres like jazz, but also rock and roll, funk, reggae, and music hall. Ian Dury always saw himself more as an entertainer and a performer rather than a singer. And this kind of showed in his stage performance, where he did not put as much attention into singing or addressing the audience in a very conventional way. And this also translated in his lyrics. They were often described as absurd, otherworldly, and offensive. And this also led to a few songs being banned on the radio, in particular the BBC. So besides his work as a musician, Ian Dury has also acted in several movies and TV series. And some of his most notable roles were in the movies Judge Dredd, Split Second, and the second Crow movie, City of Angels. Ian Dury never really liked the word charity, but he was still active in charity as well, as he appeared in several advertisements to promote safe sex when AIDS became very prominent in the mainstream. And Dury also became an ambassador for UNICEF. And for UNICEF, he visited Sri Lanka to promote the vaccination against polio in the 1990s. And by the end of Dury's life, he started supporting more charities that help people with cancer. This was because Dury himself was actually diagnosed with colon cancer in 1996. And the disease later spread to other parts of his body. And he eventually passed away on the 27th of March 2000, aged 57. So now we know a bit about his life. But what about the music he put out before New Boots and Panties? As I mentioned earlier, by the end of 1973, Dury was offered a contract by Raft Records with his first band, Kilburn and the High Roads. And they started recording their debut album in 1974. But the album remained unreleased because Raft Records was shut down. And around this time, the band was managed by fashion entrepreneur Tommy Roberts, who was also acquainted with the Sex Pistols manager Malcolm McLaren, who was also a fashion designer. And this will become important later. So during this time, Kilburn and the High Roads kept touring pubs and they grew a larger audience and were eventually signed again, and this time by Dawn Records. And with Dawn Records, they re-recorded their debut album and they released their first single, Rough Kids, in 1974. Their debut album, Handsome, was thereafter released in 1975. And musically, this album was more of a straight rock record. But it already featured some of the unique vocals of Ian Dury. And in support of this record, the band toured extensively. And they did this with several other bands, including the Sex Pistols. 
but the band didn't last that long as they disbanded soon afterward. But a couple years later, Ian Dury started working on a solo record. And he recorded some stuff, but the album was never picked up by a major label. But the newly formed Stiff Records seemed to be interested in the unique and maverick style that Dury had. So in order to record a record again, Ian Dury formed the Blockheads in 1977 and the label invited the band to perform on the live Stiff store together with some other artists like Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe. And this is really what opened the way to their real mainstream success. So before we get into the album itself, let's look at the time that the record was released, the 1970s. And in Britain, this decade is often seen as one of the gloomiest post-war periods, right between the swinging 60s, but also the divisive Thatcher 80s. And the United Kingdom saw a great economic decline, in the mid-70s especially. And there were many possible reasons for this decline. And there were also, of course, different people blamed for this decline, which caused a lot of unrest. And next to all of this going on, there was still ongoing conflict between the IRA, Ulster Loyalist and the British state. And this time is also often referred to as the Troubles. And even though there were more efforts towards peace and resolution in the mid 70s, there was still ongoing violence and bombings throughout Ireland and the UK. But in terms of music, the 1970s was a very interesting time, for rock especially. And this goes for Britain, but also the rest of the world, of course. Because as the Beatles disbanded in 1970, the doors opened up for both heavy and experimental music, or a combination of both, with bands like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, Pink Floyd, and King Crimson. And the experimentation did not limit itself to the music. It also bled into performances and stage shows. And around the mid-70s, glam rock really embraced some of these theatrical elements and flamboyant stage attire, while also recreating some science fiction sounding elements into the music style. And on the other side of the spectrum, there was progressive rock which further evolved becoming more complicated in a way. And to counter this, a new type of genre spawned with very heavy and distorted sounds. And this was usually played by bands that weren't as technically able as the progressive rock artists. And this in combination with the building frustration of the current state of the world and societal standards, it created a back to basics and DIY scene and combined with his British typical humor, punk was created. Of course, there were other scenes in the world where punk also became a thing, including New York, Los Angeles. But London had a very unique style of this punk. And some of these artists in all these different scenes also incorporated more of the electronic elements, like synthesizers or drum machines. And this of course created the new wave genre. And this kind of began in the same year that this album was released. So I won't go too much into that. But in London, the pop rock scene was very much at its height in the mid 70s. 
and it kind of is the precursor to what I mentioned before, punk rock. And examples of this scene are The Stranglers, Rugulator, Eddie and the Hot Rods, Joe Strummer's 101ers, and of course, Kilburn and the High Roads. So now that we have a bit of background of whatever was happening surrounding the album and before the creation of it, let's look at the recording of it. So, in the time surrounding the Stiv Live tour, Ian Dury had a load of songs and was ready to put out a full-length studio album. And Dury had written most of these songs with his bandmate Chaz Jankel and some tracks together with Steve Nugent. Dury and Jankel recorded about 35 to 38 demos at Alvik Studios in Wimbledon. And the studio engineer of these recordings recommended two session musicians, Norman Watroy and Hugh Charlie Charles. And they became members of the Blockheads later on. So out of all these demos, Dury selected the best tracks. And a week later, they started recording those at the workhouse in London. And the album was co-produced by Peter Jenner Laurie Latham and Rick Walton. And out of all these, Peter Jenner was the most experienced producer and he had been active since the late 60s. But in reality, most of the hands-on production was done by his protege, Laurie Latham. Latham later recalled, quote, Peter would sit there rolling joints all day and I'd do all the bloody work. But in fairness, I also have to say that he taught me an awful lot. He wasn't particularly hands-on, but he would always say things like, Lori, are you sure the bass drum's loud enough? Maybe you should nudge it a bit. It was always the bass drum or the bass. And if you think about it, the rhythm section is what really defines that record." Unquote. So beside the aforementioned personnel, the album featured two more members of Dury's original band, namely the saxophonist Davy Payne, and the guitarist Ed Spite, and a friend of Spite's Jeff Castle, also features on the record, playing the Moog synthesizer. The album cover is a now very iconic picture, taken by Chris Gabrin, and it features Ian Dury with his son Baxter, and they're standing in front of Axford's underwear and lingerie shop. And there are actually several versions of this photograph taken, some with or without Baxter, but Dury and Gabriel both chose the same photo and Dury subsequently named the album. And an interesting fact about this picture is that the location where it was taken was actually just around the corner of where Dury's father had passed away a few years prior. Musically, Ian Dury wanted the album to sound typically English, as he calls it. But he also wanted the influences of every member to come through. And he wanted to let the music be what they wanted it to be. Quote, I wanted to make music that sounds like something we liked. Unquote. In an autobiographical documentary, which I highly recommend, called Ian Dury on My Life, he also explains that he wanted to make music that people could dance to. Very reminiscent of Jamaican and African music, but also inspired by African funk and jazz. And this influence, I think, can really be heard, especially compared to Dury's first album with the Kilburns. It is much more danceable 
and the rhythm and the influences outside of the rock and roll genre is very noticeable. The sources of Dury's lyric writing was diverse, but it were usually things that Ian knew about or he lived amongst. And he used elements of his own life to create his own characters or use people around him and describe them. And to him it was a form of journalism, talking about a character or a person and what they had liked and what they did. Like I said before, Dury's purpose was always to entertain the crowd. He didn't really put much focus on creating deep and philosophical songs. Instead, he just focused on creating something unconventional, but entertaining. The Guardian later described the sound of the album to be a refined and distinctively London-oriented blend of Cockney Music Hall, rock and Bowie-style electronics. And I can definitely see that, especially the latter, which is recognizable in some of the songs. Now, let's look at some of the actual songs of the album. And first of all, I'd like to talk about a song that was not on the initial release of the album, but was released before the album, and it was shortly after added on re-releases of it. And this song and single is, of course, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. And this song was in the works for a long time, with Ian Dury proposing to make this song multiple times to his partner, Chaz Jankel. But Jankel kept rejecting to do so. Up until Dury sung the song's guitar riff to him. And while he was playing it back, he sung over the riff. And that's when it clicked. And this song's iconic riff has often been compared to some other songs. Including Ornette Coleman's tune Rambling. But also a Kentucky folk tune called Old Joe Clark. and drugs and rock and roll is all my brain and body need sex and drugs and rock and roll it's very good indeed the single did not manage to chart and it was actually banned by the BBC because of its lyrical content and although it was not the first time the term was coined the song really popularized the phrase sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Sex and drugs and rock and roll is very good indeed. Another single and song on the album is Sweet Jean Vincent. And this song is a tribute to rock and roll singer Jean Vincent which was an idol of Ian Dury in his teens. And the first time he heard a song of Gene Vincent, it brought him to tears. And ever since, Dury would talk very positively about Vincent. And actually the death of Vincent inspired Dury to start his own band and inspired his stage attire. And during the writing of this song, Ian Dury spent about six weeks researching Gene Vincent's life and working on the lyrics. And the song roughly retells Vincent's life story. But it also directly references some of Vincent's songs. 
skinny white sailor The chances were slender The beauties were brief Shall I mourn your decline With some thunderbird wine And a black handkerchief I miss your sad Virginia whisper I miss the voice That called my heart Sweet Jean Vincent The song had always remained a staple in Dury's life sets, even in his later years. And Suggs, the lead singer of the band Madness, was a big fan of this song. And he even references it in a tribute song that he made after Dury's death. Now, the next song I'd like to talk about is one of my favorite songs of the record. And this one's called Clever Trevor. And I honestly have no clue what this song could be about. It's probably a character that Ian Dury made up. But I just love the sound of the song. And it has some very great rhyming of Ian Dury. Why should I feel bad about something going in? Such stupidness is mad, cause nothing underfoot comes and nothing less to add to a load of old to And I run off not off glad, cause there's nowhere to put it. Even if I had, I'm a bit of a jack the lad. And I also really like the very simple guitar solo accompanied with the bass. Now the final song I'd like to look at is the song that also was used for the band's name, Blockheads. And this song is a more typical punk song. And it features, yeah, the punk-like vocals by Dury. And the term blockhead was often used to describe a stupid person. And in a funny way, the band thought it would be fitting to call themselves this. And this song also features Jeff Castle's Mook Synthesizers. It's definitely one of my favorite sounds on this record. New Boots and Panties was received overwhelmingly positive by reviewers, and Ellen Jones of the magazine Melody Maker described the album as, quote, a tense, harrowing account of urban degradation that conveys with more vocal, musical, and lyrical vehemence than any so-called new wave slash punk combo has yet been able to muster. The desperation and squalor of the social conditions it so provocatively illustrates." Unquote. Others praised Dury's honest but unorthodox songwriting, comparing it lyrically with The Kinks and musically with David Bowie. The album sold very well after the single Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll was released and later was added to the album. The album reached number 5 on the UK Albums Chart and is certified platinum. The album was later re-released multiple times 
for different anniversaries or different pressings. After the release of the album, Stiff Records launched the marketing campaign for Ian Dury, and under the original management of Pink Floyd, Ian Dury and the Blockheads built up a dedicated following in the UK and several other countries. And the band scored hits with the songs What a Waste, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick, and Reasons To Be Cheerful Part 3. Together with the Blockheads, Ian Dury released two more albums, Do It Yourself in 1979 and Laughter in 1980. But during this time the band went through a few lineup changes and it eventually concluded with Ian Dury leaving the band to pursue a solo deal. And one notable release of Dury's solo career was the song Spasticus Autisticus from 1981. And this song was written as a protest against the International Year of Disabled Persons, which Dury considered to be patronizing. And Ian was so fed up with being requested to get involved with charitable causes that he actually wrote an anti-charity song. And the song was both an appeal for understanding and a battle cry, reminiscent of Spartacus, hence the name of the song. But once again, this song was banned by the BBC, or at least in some parts of the day, because they felt that the song was too offensive. But later, this song got credit for its message. And it was even used in the opening ceremony of the 2012 Summer Paralympics in London. Ian Dury and the Blockheads reunited in 1996, and this was after Dury was diagnosed with cancer. And together they recorded the album Mr. Love Pants, and it was released in 1997. And this album is praised by a lot of people and is seen as the actual follow-up to New Boots and Panties. So after the release of this album, the band kept touring. And their last show was at the London Palladium on February 6th, 2000. And Dury passed away six weeks after this concert due to colon cancer. In memory of Dury's death, the album was remade in 2001, this time named Brand New Boots and Panties. And it features a lot of different artists that cover the songs of the album. And some of those people featuring are Paul McCartney, Robbie Williams, Sinead O'Connor, and Madness. Clearly, Ian Dury was a very influential artist, and it meant a lot to people. And he was one of the new wave and punk pioneers in England. And starting from his early work with Kilburn and the High Road, he had already influenced a lot of different artists like Suggs from the band Madness, Paul Simonen from The Clash, and of course the band that Ian Dury went on tour with, the Sex Pistols. And this is shown because they asked Chris Thomas, which was the producer of the Kilburn's first single, to produce their own debut album. But it has also been claimed that the lead singer of the Sex Pistols, John Lydon, had borrowed some of the performing style of Ian Dury, even though he contends that himself. And Ian's own son, Baxter, who featured on the cover art, was also inspired by his father, and he became a singer himself. To this point, Baxter has released about six studio albums and has seen some of his own success with his music. 
Now, lastly, Ian Dury's life has been very inspirational as well, as it was used for several musicals and movies, most notably the 2010 biopic Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, which features Andy Serkis, but also the 2010 musical Reasons to be Cheerful, which is actually supported by the Blockheads. And that's it for this week's episode. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening. I can see that you've been listening and you've been liking it so far. So I'll definitely continue making it. It would really help out if you would tell someone about the podcast. And if you can, you can rate the podcast in the app, which will get it promoted more. And of course, you can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at 500albumspod which is at 500albumspod. Or you can email me at 500albumspod at gmail.com and you can let me know your favorite tracks of this album, stuff you're looking forward to on the list, um, and any other questions or suggestions. And for next week, we'll be looking at album number 494, which will be the self-titled album Boss Skaggs by Boss Skaggs. So make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye.